I'm Brian Santo, EE Times Editor-in-Chief, and you're listening to EE Times On Air. This is your briefing for the week ending November 22nd. In this episode, a bunch of chip guys from Apple are planning to challenge Intel in the data center, a product category where Intel holds better than a 90% share. Do they stand a chance? Also, Google and Facebook are at the forefront of artificial intelligence research. Sony claims it's been doing just about as much R&D in AI as those two, and it recently formalized an approach to spreading that expertise throughout the company. We'll talk about what that might mean for Sony. And China has just set aside another $28 billion to further develop its semiconductor industry. There are a lot of questions about China's big fund. What might be the best way to spend that big of a fund? Is that enough to help China catch up? And what if it does? This is Charles Tan, a Chinese semiconductor executive who just concluded a stint as the president of the China Electronics Distribution Association. International editor Junko Yoshida interviewed him recently in Shenzhen. It takes time, mm-hmm. right? It's a good thing for Chinese companies. They look at different options, mm-hmm. number one. Number two, it's actually not bad news for American companies because you probably will have a competitor five years right. from now rather than 25 years from now. Yeah. I think some of the American companies also need to have a little bit competition, uh, <laughs> right? Uh, pressure for them to continue working really hard, yeah. right? Uh, continue investing to the resources. Mm-hmm. Good challenges, not bad thing. We'll get back to China, China's ambitions in the semiconductor industry, and its big fund in a moment. A startup called Nuvia announced itself recently with one of the more ambitious plans we've heard in a long time. Intel utterly dominates the market for servers used in data centers. Nuvia expects to take on Intel in that market. The company said it secured $53 million in funding from several prominent venture funds to get up and running. I spoke with the company's new marketing VP last week and wrote up the story. International editor Junko Yoshida pulled me aside to quiz me on what Nuvia is up to. Who is Nuvia? Start from there. Nuvia is a bunch of engineers, mostly from uh, Apple. They've all got experience with Apple. The CEO is a guy named Gerard Williams. He's uh, He was the chief CPU architect for almost 10 years over at Apple. Uh, his SVP of Silicon Engineering is a guy named Manu Gladi. And apologies if I've, I've mispronounced that. But uh, he was a, a lead system-on-chip architect over at Google for a while. And prior to that had been at Apple. And they've got another SVP that they uh, designated for system engineering. That's a guy named John Bruno, also a system architect at Google, but he's also had experience at Apple. So these three guys apparently have recruited already uh, something like four dozen engineers and they're looking to get more. And they are planning to take on Intel in the data center. All right. So when you say taking on Intel, uh, you're talking about they are developing specific SOC that goes into the data centers, servers? Uh, Yeah. So Intel has dominated the server market in data centers uh, for years. And by dominated, I mean, it's like close on monopoly. They've got a 90% plus position in, in servers in the data center. And it's been practically unassailable for, as I said, several years. Uh, so these guys 
are taking on a pretty ambitious task for themselves. They said they're going to start with a clean sheet design. They'll uh, have a core and they'll build uh, a system on a chip around it designed for data center servers. All right. So let's talk about that core. Is Nuvia using ARM core or RISC-V? Well, that's going to be a short conversation. (laughs) (laughs) They they wouldn't tell me. The assumption is that it might be ARM, but it's hard to say. They're just simply not offering any technological details. their, you know, trade secrets, et cetera, et cetera, as if, uh, you know, telling us what it is would make a difference. But uh, I don't know, maybe because they've uh, they've got to build not for this generation, maybe not even for the next generation, but perhaps the generation beyond. And I suppose uh, it makes a little bit of sense for them to be paranoid because, you know, you're two generations out, somebody else you know, figures out what you're doing, they could probably jump on the bandwagon too. Wait, wait. So um, when do they plan to roll out their first SOC then? Another short conversation. Don't know. It's, it's going to, they're just building staff right now. They've just finished their their first uh, round of funding, their, their Series A. They pulled in $53 million. And our buddies over at Tirius Research say that's, that's not even close to what you need to to tape out a chip. Um, so they're going to have to go through at least one more round of funding, probably two. Those tend to get spaced out at six-month, nine-month, 12-month intervals. Um, these guys aren't going to be popping up with a chip for at least a year and probably longer. So why do you think they pre-announced this? I don't know. Somebody throws $53 million at you. I guess uh, news gets out. They're also recruiting, so they probably want to make a, a bit of noise just to attract any talent that's out there. Because what they're taking on is a pretty serious endeavor. When you're talking about servers in data centers, you're no longer just talking about the system itself. Everything has to work together. I mean, they they measure data centers down to bits, microwatts, and, and they have to balance copper cables on the back of the systems to the interconnect between chips and uh, between uh, the processor and various levels of memory. It's all got to be optimized. And like I said, these guys are looking down at least a generation, maybe two. Uh, they have to do some pretty innovative stuff. Two generations in advance. I think they really want to crank up some excitement and they want to be able to attract some really top talent with some innovative ideas. Yeah, but here's the thing. You know, what frustrates uh, me and you and probably a lot more other people is that when a new company suddenly shows up out of blue, but tell us because of our pedigrees, talents we've got, and the first round of funding will deliver this. I mean, it's sort of like trust us. You know, that actually makes, it frustrates me so much. What about you? Oh, yeah. It's absolutely frustrating. You're right. These guys have an incredible pedigree, but they also have an incredible ambition. The skepticism that they might be able to actually deliver is is merited, especially when they're scanty on the details. All right, then. Well, we'll wait. <laughs> we will wait what they deliver, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cool your jets, Junko. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> 
We recorded this segment earlier this week. Subsequent to that, the world got another clue about what core Nuvia might be using. It now seems a good bet that it's going to be an ARM core. Why? John Masters, who had been the chief ARM architect and distinguished engineer of Red Hat, recently tweeted that he has joined Nuvia as vice president of software. Artificial intelligence has already permeated so much of our lives. It's the foundational technology that makes Siri, Alexa, and other assistants capable of parsing what we say and responding appropriately. It helps rice cookers make perfect rice and autonomous vehicles avoid hitting obstacles, most of the time anyway. But as common as AI is becoming, there are countless more products and services that could stand to become smarter. Last week, Junko wrote a story about the decision of one of the biggest consumer electronics companies in the world to get more organized about how it goes about developing AI and grabbing the world's AI development talent. Okay, it's you and me again. And this time, we're talking about one of your stories. And this one is about Sony getting ambitious in the artificial intelligence area. Tell us what they announced. They announced a new organization called Sony AI. And it's not a division. It's not part of Sony's um, computer science laboratories. It's an independent organization that becomes kind of a hub that would uh, really develop, do the basic research and development on AI. And uh, the results of the uh, their work will be applied to uh various projects Sony uh, will have. Okay, so this that's pretty cool. Now, it sounds like it's a new organization, but Sony is familiar with AI. They've been doing AI for a while now, right? Yeah, they're not. it's not very well known because that's been kind of internal development. But um, yeah, they claim that it's on, probably on par with Google AI or Facebook AI which I'm not sure, but that's what they're claiming. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, okay, so they say they've got a pedigree, they've got a background in AI, they're going to get serious about it. Um, They are targeting, they're going to be focused. They're targeting three areas. Tell us what those three areas are initially. One is gaming. Another is um, CMOS image sensors and other sensors uh, that Sony has. This is a hardware development. And the third one is uh, gastronomy, which I'm really not sure about. But these are the three <laughs> projects they said that they, they're going to focus. But just to remember that this is a fundamental AI research. So it's not like they are actually developing three separate products. Instead, they're developing fundamental technology that will that can be used. For example, in gaming, I think gaming actually is a really good example because uh, it's not a stretch to say that the AI could help developers, game developers, test games before its release or the uh, playing uh, pre-release software. Right? It's 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 discover bugs, for example. I think that's a, that's a good one. Or even accelerate the game development. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like it's just like uh, testing autonomous cars, right? Yeah. Sort of. Exactly. And uh, yeah, you can do the pathfinding, you know, of of the gameplay. Mm -hmm. You know, I think there are a lot of uh, of areas in gaming that AI 
can be should be leveraged i think right right so that's and another one is the cmos image sensors you know as you know that sony is a dominant force uh when it comes to the cmos image sensors in the world so in a world where we think intelligence is going down to the uh really the edge of the network or the end node uh, sensor itself at one day uh, should have the uh, intelligence um, AI in it, right? So if you think about that, this is really another area that it truly makes sense that Sony to get you know hot and heavy with AI. And, and yeah. now you're going to tell us all about gastronomy. So this is not this is this isn't a uh, oh. a, a typo or anything. <laughs> they didn't mean astronomy. They're actually talking <laughs> about food. Yeah, so it's Sony spokesperson shared with me video clip that apparently Sony made. Um the I think it's a robotic cooking. You know, he made sure that we're not talking about replacing sh- a chef with AI, but uh, at some point we can automate slicing and dicing maybe the, the the video clip showed us sort of assisted living situation the senior person will invite his family uh, for dinner but he uh, actually works with robotic kitchen to show the uh, kitchen that here's how I want you to slice you know, I don't know, potato or something. And then the robotic arms <laughs> are slicing t- potatoes exactly the way, you know, he showed t- to the t- to the arm. I don't know. It's um it's it's complicated. But it's it's the whole idea is that it's not just the pure robotics, but AI and robotics should go hand in hand. And this is one way to show AI can help senior living, I guess, in a kitchen. Wow. So it's Sort of like Rosie the maid from the Jetsons. Okay, so there's a, a kind of an interesting uh, juxtaposition in things. A couple weeks ago, we were talking to a guy who was really excited about AI and sensors going into. And one of his examples was um, a companion, an AI companion, which he was thinking right. of might take the shape of a dog, uh, might be all fluffy and furry, you know, animatronic, but it would respond to you. If it were somebody who was mobility impaired, if they fell down, it would be able to detect and call alert authorities, things like that. And Sony already has something sort of like that. They've got Ibo, and they actually mentioned Ibo in connection with this, this uh, new technological thrust, right? Yeah, well, but, you know, they actually made it clear that they they didn't create this new organization called Sony AI for Ibo project. But the point that they stressed is that unlike other companies, Sony already has a platform based on Ibo. And Ibo recently um, actually opened up its API. So if software application developers choose to develop a new apps or a new trick to teach Ibo, uh, they can do that. And uh, the consumers can download the uh, Ibo's new tricks into Ibo. You know, that sort of thing. So they're trying to tell us, even though Sony AI is not directly tied to robotic pet, Sony already has an expertise and experience and even hardware platform to pull this off. So it's, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting uh, concept. And actually, by the way, that um, the uh, the guy who heads up Sony AI, his name is Hiroaki 
Kitano. He actually started out his career within uh, Sony Computer Science Laboratories uh, in Tokyo as an engineer uh, that worked for Aibo, the first generation of Aibo. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So big things coming out of Sony one way or another soon, sometime in the near future, huh? That's what what I was told. (laughs) All right. Okay, Junko, thank you. You're welcome. By the way, as a result of its opening up the API, Sony's iBo has new updates that will allow it to interact with Hitachi products. You can train it to bark an alert when your Hitachi dryer is done drying your clothes, and you can instruct it to activate your Hitachi robot vacuum cleaner. There's a video from Hitachi on YouTube demonstrating these and other new downloadable updates for iBo. We've got links to it on the podcast page on eetimes.com. By the way, if you order an iBo by December 29th, um, they sell for $2,900, Sony Electronics will throw in a free pause pads and free iBone for your robot dog to play with. China has been slowly, methodically building a self-sufficient semiconductor industry. In the last five years or so, manufacturing of printed circuit boards has been consolidated largely in China. The market for IC substrates is moving to China, and there are now several Chinese companies among the global leaders in chip packaging. And more than five years ago, China organized what it called the Big Fund, which has distributed roughly $14 billion among 23 semiconductor companies. And what did the Big Fund achieve? Five years, multiple mergers, several acquisitions, and a few IPOs later, China has a modest foundation of semiconductor expertise upon which it can build. It has foundries able to produce chips that the country's budding IC design houses can rely on. But to create a world-class semiconductor ecosystem, China needs to build on that base, and it intends to do so. The country recently announced Big Fund Phase 2, with roughly double the amount of money of Phase 1, nearly $29 billion. I asked Junko what Phase 2 will be about. Phase 2, they say that they want to spend money for supply chain. And supply chain, in this case, means... uh, various technologies that uh, they need to build certain systems. You know, the, the, but the problem here, though, uh, the, even phase one, they spend money here and there. I mean, the, as a result that they spend a lot more money for the uh, manufacturing technologies, but in reality, they spend a lot of money in design houses, uh, IP developers. Uh, so it was all over the map. So I think that this is going to happen for the phase two as well, even though when you say supply chain, it is not about service of the supply chain, but supply chain of key ingredients, key technologies and components uh, for the Chinese electronics industry. Junko and I were in Shenzhen recently, and while we were there, we spoke to several industry participants about the big fund. One was Charles Tan, who we heard from at the beginning of this episode. Junko mentioned to him that she had been told that Big Fund 2 would focus on the supply chain. This is his response. I think the supply chain, or you are referring to more on the service side in the supply chain, when the others, you know, your, your friend was telling you, probably he's looking at more from technology product, oh. right, or the uh, the mix of the technology, of- right? So if they are something sp- specifically, if it's, it's controlled by the other party or somebody else, 
So some missing parts. Missing parts. Like, so I think that's uh, what that's he was referring to. Yeah. yeah. So uh, yeah, China. I mean, led by the government funds, yeah. uh, as well as uh, some of the funds, actually quite amount of funds from the private sectors. Yeah. So they all come together. Uh, you know, they uh, today um, one of the key focus is on the semiconductor side. Yeah. Right. So uh, you know, if there's one particular device. You cannot really uh, acquire to complete the entire product, ah. and that really uh, basically a major challenge for that particular company. So sure. rather than they always have a plan B, right. right? So I mean, no difference if you look at the American company Apple, yeah. right? And when they do the supply chain, I, I will be extremely surprised. They only look at the one supplier or one particular company, right? So they always have a plan B, probably have a plan C. So. I, I think that's that's uh, that's Similar. understandable, yeah, right? Uh, but semiconductor is uh, uh, such a complex, yes. right? It's not about money. It's it's not only about the time. It's about expertise, mm -hmm. knowledge, management. You know, every single factor, right? It, you know, you look at all the all the giants, uh, very successful semiconductor companies in, in the market. They don't come overnight. Right. So uh, it, sometimes in my opinion it probably takes one generation, maybe two, right, to, to reach that level. So uh, I don't think it's it's immediate impact, right? right. But rather it's, it's more on the strategic side. Um, uh, there's, uh, by the way, you know, if, uh, if uh, uh, China is not closing its door, Okay, it's not say I have a plan B, so I don't need a plan A. Yeah. I think you know companies were stupid. They are business people. Right. As long as the technology and the price, right, and the service are good, yeah. uh, so they always want alternatives rather right. than just uh, you know rely on one particular source. Junko also sat down with Jean-Christophe Edouard, founder of the analyst firm Yole Development. She asked him how China should move forward. Huawei is doing that, but we have seen also other companies that are trying to do that in other fields in China, where the idea is that, okay, they master the system, yeah. they master the, the, the access to the end customer, but they have to have internally their own supply chain with all the key devices, the key modules, the key technologies, in order to be able to make the wise decision in terms of which technology to be used. And this is exactly the contrary what European companies or US companies are doing, which are using a supply chain and not to do that internally. But it is exactly what the Japanese companies are still doing and doing very successfully like Toyota. Toyota is totally integrated. And I think it's a model that is very, very important for China at the moment, because this is a good way to make very short connections from the, the need of the market and the supply chain without too many layers in between. And this is, uh, for me, a very key successful business model for China for the next 10 years in order to be able to integrate everything, to make very good decision on which technologies, which what has to be manufactured in China, because it's important, driven by the market, the market needs, and to do that under the same umbrella, the same group of companies. Right, right. Okay, that might be... Uh a more effective way to go about it. Uh, one of the things that I was told by several people, both analysts and industry ex executives in China, is that the biggest role Big Fund played so far, and it will in the future, is that it's more of a confidence builder, right? Rather than having, uh, you know, I don't know, 50 different private funds, uh, 
investing here and there. That's what we're doing in the United States. Um, the if you actually collect all the money under the roof of big fund, I don't know whether it works or not, but at least give them confidence that every chip company in China can feel assured that they are going to be part of this big ecosystem the Chinese government is trying to build. A couple of other things Junko noted about the big fund. It's essentially free money for the recipients, and the program is loosely managed. Poor accountability can often be a weakness. Okay, kids, time to strap in. We're ready for another rocket blast to the past. On November 16th in 1904, John Ambrose Fleming applied for a patent for the oscillation valve, pretty much the first vacuum tube for electronics. About 50 years later, vacuum tubes would start getting replaced by transistors. 50 years after that, certain audiophile engineers will still argue to the death that amplifiers built with vacuum tubes sound better. This is one of the very few technological subjects about which you might catch an engineer engaging in overt mysticism. On November 17, in 1970, Douglas Engelbart received a patent for the first XY position indicator for a display system. In the patent, Engelbart states, One of the potentially most promising means for delivering and receiving information to and from digital computers involves the display of computer outputs as visual representations on a cathode ray tube and the alteration of the display by a human operator in order to deliver instructions to the computer. See, this is why I love patent applications. By the way, the word mouse appears nowhere in the patent. November 18th, 1963, was the first day that phone users were first able to trade in this for this. That was the day that AT&T officially introduced the dual-tone multi-frequency, or DTMF, system, the basis for touch-tone phones, and, eventually, phone freaking. For you youngins who have to look that up, that's freaking with a PH. That's your weekly briefing for the week ending November 22nd. This podcast is produced by Aspen Core Studio. It was engineered by Taylor Marvin and Greg McRae at Coop Studios. The segment producer was Katie Huss. The transcript of this podcast can be found on eetimes.com, complete with links to the articles we refer to, along with photos and video. Check in with us in two weeks for a new edition of EE Times On Air. Have a happy Thanksgiving, everyone. I'm Brian Santo.